0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Malachi chapter 1. We should finish things up tonight. I saw all these adults in their pajamas downstairs, and I'm tempted to go to Walmart after and see how many end up there afterwards as well. People like to walk around Walmart in their pajamas. We'll see. Must be same <laughs> it is <Not> definitely. <laughs> 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 we same thing in Maine. <laughs> I think in Maine, it's acceptable anywhere to wear your pajamas, not just Walmart. (laughs) Malachi chapter one, and we'll read uh, the last three verses of uh, the chapter, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll get in, and we're going to really piggyback on a lot of what Dave taught last week as he um, went over the the issue with the priesthood and the uh, sacrifices and the offerings that were being given. And so I hope tonight uh, connects well with what he said last week, and if not, We'll just assume that Dave was right and I'm wrong. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into our text. Uh, Let's read our text and then have a word of prayer. It says in verse 12, But ye have profaned it, in that you say, The table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness it is. And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. God, we thank you for this evening, and we thank you for your word that we can look to tonight, and I do pray that it would be uh, both encouraging uh, and convicting to us God that as we think on on this uh, idea of the sacrifices and the worship that you had prescribed in the Old Testament and even then as we draw parallels to our worship in uh, the day and age that we live in God I pray that our hearts uh, would be set in a position that the worship um, that we give is worship that glorifies your name uh, God Jesus told us in John 4 that you desire for us to worship you in spirit and in truth. And God, I pray tonight that that we would do that, that our worship would not be false, that it would not be in pretense, God, that it would just simply be from a heart that recognizes how gracious you are, how kind you are, and that the words from our hearts, God, would just lift up your holy name. We thank you for this time that we can gather. I do pray again for the kids' classes downstairs, that though they're having fun with their pajama night and their popcorn and candy. God, I pray that in a deeper way that your truth would be planted deep in their hearts even now. And God, that from a young age, they would worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you again. Uh, be with our time together. May it bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, I pray. <clears throat> Amen. As Dave went through verses 6 through 11 uh, last week, it was clear that there was a problem in the priesthood. And these priests were willingly being willingly ignorant to the truth. And we talked about that as we went through Second Peter, the people who were willingly ignorant. And they understood the truth, but they rejected it or they ignored it because they had other things in mind, other things that they wanted to accomplish. And so they had the instructions from God. If you want to know how serious God takes worship, um, then all you have to do is read through the book, book of Leviticus. And the way that God sets up worship in the Old Testament and, and to us at times is very monotonous to read through books like that. But for those people back then, without that book, they wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have had the way to walk in. And so uh, as God took worship serious in the Old Testament, we understand that he still takes worship serious today. And the issue that was going on there is that people were being allowed to bring in animal sacrifices that were less than what God had required and less than what God had desired. And in some ways, it seems that they conspired together to go against God because the people were bringing sacrifices in that were not worthy, and the priests were allowing sacrifices to be offered that were not worthy. And so in in a sense, they conspired together to go against what God had given because it was a convenient thing. Uh, It's interesting, tonight is pajama night downstairs. I have had this thought in my mind recently that one of the (laughs) <laughs> the The faults of our culture, and even in our churches, is that we love this idea of being comfortable. Um, you think of, of just the clothes that people wear today, most of the times, what are people dressing for? Comfort. They, they want to be comfortable. And as silly as that is, and maybe you're thinking, where is Dan going with this? I was thinking about it as I was driving down the road, and I like to be comfortable. But when that, that attitude, is, is, when it touches every part of my life, couldn't we say that that could be a negative thing? That my desire for comfort could lead me away from doing that which is right? And certainly as we think to the the worship that was taking place here, they were giving what was comfortable for them to give. They didn't want to give the greatest thing or the most expensive thing or the thing that would have cost them the most. They wanted to give what was comfortable for them or what was convenient. And Certainly, as we sit in a church with padded chairs and fans blowing on us, we like the idea of comfort, but what would life be like, or what would our worship be like, or what would our church attendance be like if all of the things that were comfortable in church were stripped away and we were left with just the bare necessities? Would we still gather for worship? And so these people had an issue. They they were giving what God had not desired, they were not giving what God had required, And as God is speaking to them through the prophet Malachi, uh, we see that God is is criticizing them for doing things their way. And as I read this passage, I don't know why, but the old Frank Sinatra song, My Way, kept coming to my mind. And if you're familiar with that song at all, uh, what is Frank Sinatra saying in that song? I did it my way. Basically, I got to where I am, I accumulated what I have, I uh, achieved all of these great things because I did it my way. Sometimes I bit off more than I could chew, but I still did it my way, right? I ran over who I needed to run over to do what I needed to do. And as you listen to that song, I actually listened to a recording of it yesterday uh, when it was sung in Madison Square Gardens. And when he was done, the crowd just erupted with praise. Why? Because as a people, what do we like? We like to do things our way. But there comes a point in our spiritual walk specifically Where doing things our way would be a sin. Where where we look at what God has commanded, what God has said, what God has given to us, and we look at that and say, God, I have a different way or a better way, and in doing so, we're saying, God, I know what you've said, but I'm going to choose to live willfully ignorant of that thing to do it my way. And the foolish thing is, we think it's going to bring great satisfaction to our lives, but does it? maybe for a while, but it's not lasting satisfaction. And so as Malachi is writing, as he's speaking here, he's reminding the people that doing it their way, in some sense, was was coming with a great cost. And this isn't the only place that we see this played out. Think back to the first book of the Bible. Who do we see that did it their way, and it came with a great cost when it came to worship? Cain and Abel. One brought a sacrifice that was acceptable to God in the way that God desired for it to be brought, and the other brought what he thought was best. He did it his way, and certainly it led to what? Uh, Murder, exile, all these these negative things came into the life of Cain uh, because he chose to do it his way. Another person who chose to do it his way uh, would be a prophet that we know of as Jonah. God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I'm going to go my own way. And where did it end up, uh, land Jonah? In the belly of a fish. And then being spit up on shore uh, after three days. So doing things his way didn't didn't work well. Uh, Certainly we could could think of others in the Old Testament, but if we fast forward to the New Testament, uh, we could think of Ananias and Sapphira, who chose to do it their way. They said, we're going to say that we're giving... All, but really, we're going to hold a portion back. And when they were deceiving, as it talks about here, being a deceiver, when they were deceiving those around them, it ended up costing them their lives. And so, certainly, we we could see this played out in the Bible uh, in many many passages. And as we think about these people in the Old Testament who were bringing these less than perfect sacrifices. To be given on an altar, as I said this morning, it would be very easy for us to look at them and say, how dare they do that? How dare they worship God in that way? And yet, as I mentioned this morning, I wonder how many times has our worship of God, whether it's at church or not at church, been half-hearted, not been what God desires for us to bring Him. And so, as I said, doing things our own way will often lead to satisfaction in the moment, But in the long term, the result is going to be more devastating than we can ever imagine. Do you think that Cain thought in bringing that sacrifice that it was going to lead to where it led him? No, it never crossed his mind. He just thought that God should accept this because it's what I am giving him. And we know that's not the case. God didn't accept it and God gave him second chances and yet he still didn't do what he was supposed to do. And so in this section, Malachi is calling the priests on the carpet. They were to give an answer for the spiritual state of the people of God, and God wanted them to know that he was not pleased with what they had allowed to go on, and he needed them to understand this. Their spiritual pride of being the people of God, and specifically the priests of God in this moment, had caused them to become complacent in their endeavor to actually worship according to the word of God. And I think that complacency is something that we often will fight as well. That because we are the children of God, it doesn't matter how we live. But it does. It matters a great deal. And you can read in both the Old Testament and New Testament and understand God's desire for His people and how they are supposed to live. And so while this was a problem with the priesthood here, we understand that in a much greater sense, a much grander sense... It's really a problem that that every believer faces at some point in their lives, and it's something that I think we need to live with in the forefront of our minds to make sure that we're living in a way that would please God. I want to back up just for a moment to verse 11, partially because I was jealous that Dave got to teach on this verse, and I didn't get to. But verse 11 says, From the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. And so this is, in some ways, a prophetic promise that God is giving, that even though his name wasn't being honored in the way that it deserved to be honored, God is saying, my name is still being honored. And, and it may not be in this group of people, and it may not be how... how um, how they think it's going to happen, but God's name was indeed being honored. And as I, as I read that, it reminded me of what John the Baptist said to the Pharisees in Matthew 3. He said, oh, you're, you're excited or you're bragging about this idea because you're the seed of Abraham. But when did, then what does John say to them? He says, I want you to know that God is able to raise children up from stones that can worship him. And As I read this verse in, in Malachi 1.11 and I thought about that, I idea of what John the Baptist says in Matthew 3, it just struck me with this reality that God's name is going to be praised. Whether we do it or not, God's name is going to be praised. But isn't it amazing that he invites us to take part in that? Think about that for a moment. God invites us to praise His name. He invites us to be ones who magnify His name, who lift up His name, who who take part in making His name known among the earth. And if we think about how great God is and what God has done, why would we not want to do that? Why would we not want to do the very thing that He has invited us to do? And I think it goes back to what was happening in Malachi and it was this attitude of complacency that had set in that the people were just okay with doing okay. They were fine with with doing what they thought was best. Certainly, they were following some of the steps that needed to be followed. They were still bringing a a sacrifice. They were still bringing it to the right place. They were still giving it to the right people. But even in doing all those right things, their heart was far from God. Their heart was distant. Their heart had become complacent towards God, and Malachi is calling them back. And In verse 11, Malachi says that God's name would be praised among the heathen. His name would be great from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, whether you want to think of that in a 24-hour period or you want to think of it from the beginning of time to the end of time, uh, it's all true. God's name is going to be praised. But look what he says in verse number 12 as he continues writing to these people. My name is going to be praised. Let's start with that premise. But then he says, but ye have profaned it and that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. So God says, my name will be praised. And you have to wonder, in some ways, what are they thinking in this moment as they hear this message? The name of God is going to be praised. And maybe in some sense they're thinking, yeah, and we are taking part in that. We're we're the faithful remnant who have made it back to God's city, to God's country, and, and we have continued on in this worship that God had set forth. But God says, My name will be praised, but, and oftentimes the buts in the Bible are really good, but this isn't one of those times. He says, But you have profaned it. To profane means to defile, it means to pollute. It means to desecrate. And what Malachi is saying is that they had misused the name of God as they sought to worship God by bringing things that God did not desire or deserve. Now, we have to stop for a minute. Can can God's name, in a theological sense, ever lose value? No, it can't. God's name is always going to have the same amount of value. But can God's name lose value in the the sight of those or in the the minds of those who worship him? Yes, absolutely. And so God's name always has the same worth. It is always uh, of the highest uh, praise. It is always of the highest value. But oftentimes our view of God's name or our view of God wanes through the different things that we face in life. And so God says, you have profaned my name. My, my name that will be praised forever from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, my name, you have profaned it, you have misused it, you have brought to me things that I didn't desire, and you've brought to me things that I did not deserve, and now you're being called to the carpet for this. Now, as we think about the name of God, we understand that, that God loves his name, right? Not in a, an arrogant sense of he, he thinks he's better than, than everything else. He loves his name. Why? Because his name is the most loveliest thing. He is the God of of the universe. And so when he tells them that they have profaned uh, his name, when he tells them that they've done this thing that is detestable, he's trying to get their attention to understand the wayward path in which they were walking. And so God wanted them to understand that the way that they worshipped was impactful. The way that they worshipped, in essence, spoke of what they thought about who God was. And so when they brought in a sacrifice that was maimed or stolen or bruised, what was that showing about what they thought of who God was? That it was less than, right? It's not worthy. Yeah, it's not worthy of the best. God's going to be satisfied with what I bring him. And so... As Malachi starts out, he tells them that they have profaned the name of God. And as I, as I think about our sacrifices, I think about our worship that we bring to God, um, I was reminded of what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 15, where he says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I wonder, as we think about this idea of of them profaning the name of God by their, their lack of seriousness in the sacrifices, how often could we possibly profane the name of God in that we don't praise Him like He deserves or desires? Something to think about. And so, he says they profaned it, and the, it begs the question, how have they done this? And we already know the answer, and it's that they've brought polluted sacrifices to God. Uh, Their gifts and their offerings and their sacrifices and their altar worship had become a thing of convenience rather than a gift from a heart uh, of worship. And we must understand that worship can never be a thing of convenience. If worship is a thing of convenience, then we're not really worshiping. And if we are worshiping, we're worshiping self more than God, right? So worship is always supposed to cost something. It's, It's supposed to cost something from us As individuals, it's supposed to cost something from us as a whole. Now, we could think of this simply in the way that we give tithes and offerings. When we give tithes and offerings, does that cost you something? Yeah, it certainly does. When you get your giving statement at the end of the year, you can see that you gave X amount of money to the church. Well, here, it's through the church, right? Not just to the church, but through the church. And it costs you something, But I don't know of anybody that I've ever talked to who looked at that giving statement and said, man, I wished I used that money somewhere else. And why don't they have that heart? Because they gave with the right heart. They gave with a heart of sacrifice and lifting up their praises to God. And so the people were bringing in these sacrifices uh, that were were maimed to some degree. They, They were not perfect. They were less than what God desired. And I think we also have to stop at this moment and ask, is God just being petty, right? They're, they're bringing a sacrifice. Is God just being like nitpicky here and, and saying, looking at what they've done and saying, well, you could have done a little better, right? Like when I, when I make the bed and Brianna says, well, you could have done better, right? I'm not a very good bed maker at all. Um, what do you think? Is God being nitpicky here? Is he being petty? No. Why? Why would we say God's not being petty? he's worthy of the best it goes back to that same uh attitude or mentality that we talked about earlier and anytime we give a a pass to ourselves and saying that god is being nitpicky or petty it's it should be a reminder to us that we have a wrong view of god in that moment god is not petty god deserves his name to be praised because he is the one true just god So he says, you've profaned my name because you've brought these sacrifices that were less than what I desire and they're less than what I have have demanded from you. You have profaned my name and you have to understand how serious of an offense that is because this is in line with one of the 10 commandments in Exodus 20 and verse seven, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. In essence, that's what they were doing. They were saying they were worshiping God when in reality, they, they were doing less than God desires. And what does God say in Exodus 27 after the, the most familiar part of that command? He says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And so this idea of, of God's name being used in vain, God's name being misused or, or uh, desecrated or, or uh, defiled or polluted is a very serious offense because of who it is against. If, if you were to say something um, to my face that was negative or mean or nasty, guess what? It's not going to catch any national news, right? But if, if you're someplace and you're having a face-to-face with a, a president or the, the king, I, we used to say the queen for so many years, but the king now, and you said something derogatory and nasty to their face and the media was there, guess what? going to catch the attention of the rest of the world why because of who you're saying it to so god is not just another one of us on our level but god is up here and anytime we do something against god we have to understand it's a great offense because of who he is so malachi says you've profaned it you've said the table of the lord is polluted and the fruit thereof even the meat is contemptible and as this was being spoken to them, or as they were reading this, this idea would either bring conviction and understanding what they had done wrong, or it would bring disdain towards God and drive them further away. What are your thoughts on verse number 12, as we think about how this connects to what was talked about last week, and then thinking about worship uh, in, in even our day and age tonight? Bruce.
1: As the priest that... Right. You know, they, a lot of times, sacrifice sacrifices, part of it went to feed the priest and his family. So, you know, he took the three quarters of her goods to God. Right. You know, so, but they were setting that home of convenience. Yeah. You know, just do it convenient and it's okay. It's okay. I mean, and we're looking at the man of God and saying, well, he's doing it. So it must yeah. be okay. You know, Absolutely. so. That, For greater That is a verse that always scared me as a pastor, I'll tell you right now. Plain, scared knowing that there's still an accountability coming. I retired, but I (laughs) retired from that account. Right. It's still coming Yeah. And uh, these guys have just no fear of God themselves. Right. And they're teaching the people not to
0: fear God either. Yeah. Absolutely. anybody else? Leah.
1: Yeah. But also, even more encouraging side, I think of time in my life when um, my walk is I walk away from the Lord and that we can even go to Him to create the desire. Yeah. And that just is always my work. Hmm. Um, when we have a desire, it's just to improve.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. How many of you tonight would say that your Christian life has been a show for other people to see before. Just a show you put on. All of us have, right? Like we, we have, maybe our heart's not in the right spot, and so we just go through the motions. Um, what would God desire in that moment? He would desire confession of sin, right? What, what, he, he doesn't desire us just to go through the motions. That's why James says, confess your faults one to another. Like if you're struggling with going through the motions... That's why we have a body of believers that we do life with, that you can say, hey, I need help in being accountable for this thing so that I'm not just going through the motions. What really should have happened here is some of the priests should have seen what we're going on here, and they should have said, hey, this has to stop. And that's basically what God says in the previous verses, right? Not one of you was willing to shut the door. Not one of you was willing to shut this down. You just let it continue. And so it wasn't just one that had erred. But it, it, maybe it started with one. Maybe one became complacent and that complacency spread. And similar to what um, uh, we saw in Galatians 5, 9 this morning at the end of that passage that we read, what does he say? A little leaveneth what? Leavens the whole lump. So a little bit of negativity or a little bit of waywardness can impact those around us. And, and uh, as Malachi is writing here, he's letting them know that God had had enough. And so it's, it's, it's time that we stop Worshipping for the show, and we get back to the heart of worship. That that if we had to bring in, uh, there was actually a pastor in California who threatened to do this, to get rid of their pews and just bring in um, wooden benches without backs to see how many people would show up to church if that's what they did. And I guarantee there would be some people who would say, "I'm gonna find a different church, right?" That's that's too hard, too hard. Well, maybe the chairs hard, right? But you can sit there. Uh, on a basketball bleacher for two hours and, and cheer a team on. We've all done that. Couldn't we sit in church for an hour and a half and worship God?
1: Just jump up and shout amen. That's right.
0: Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
1: uh, I was thinking, too, in the letter to Ephesus in Revelation, they're going through all the right motions. Yep. Absolutely. When you're talking about the church, I was looking at an article the other day, and there was the church started in Africa, and had a wooden cross nailed to a tree. (laughs) That's how it
0: started. (laughs)
1: Sat in the shade as the sun. That was the church,
0: and there was a growing church. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I'll I'll say you know, and I think we all understand this. Nothing wrong with having padded chairs. Right? There's nothing wrong with having air-conditioned building. I'm not threatening to take them away. Trust me, I, I won't do that. But if they were taken away, what would our attitude be towards coming to this place? Would, would we still have the same desire to show up if it's hard? Um, and hopefully we would. As I said earlier, it should cost us something. Somebody else? Anything else on that verse before we move on? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's something to think about for sure. I, I often think myself, like I love gathering for worship on Sundays. It's As a pastor, like it's the highlight of my week to gather in here and uh, do what we do on Sunday mornings. But I really need to ask myself is what is my worship like the rest of the week? Because if Sunday morning is the majority of my worship, then my Sunday morning worship probably isn't really worship. It's, it's an adrenaline high that I can get from being around people that I like and doing things that I enjoy. And so, personal worship, in, in this instance, their personal worship was not there and it was reflected in their public worship. They were bringing something that God didn't desire and that was seen in, in the, the way that they publicly worshiped God. We can hide it a little more, right? Because we can put on a smile. They, they had gotten to the point where they just didn't care anymore, they were bringing these animals that maybe even their friends should have called them out on, and nobody was calling them out. And they were bringing them, but that was still a reflection of their heart. It was a reflection of, of uh, the desires within themselves. We're going to move on to, to verse number 13. And uh, as Malachi continues, he says, "'You said also, Behold, what a weariness it is. And you have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye have brought that which is torn and lame and the sick. Thus you brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand?' saith the Lord. Uh, verse 13, the, the, really um, for the, the whole book, I really didn't realize how much I liked the book of Malachi until I started to dive in and study it, because there's so much here. There's, there's so much truth uh, that is valuable for us today, and this is what the people were saying, and we, we don't know if this was like private conversations that God was revealing publicly. Could God do that? He absolutely could. Or if God was just revealing kind of the sentiment, the general sentiment of their hearts towards the, the idea of worship of God, but this is what it says. Ye said, behold, what a weariness it is. How would you phrase that in, in today's words in regards to coming to church? Heidi? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, got to go to church again, right? We, we got to go meet those, with those people that we don't really like and pretend that we like them and shake their hands and smile and look at our watches to see how long the service is going to go today and then get in our car and on the way home talk about all the people that we have pretended to like while we were there, right? What a weariness it is. This is, this is nothing that thrills my soul. As we, sang, as, as we sing the song... Uh, Sometimes all that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is all my hope and and need. Is that what it says? Is that the way we really think of him? If Jesus really thrills our souls, then coming together to worship him will also thrill our souls, corporately and privately. And they said, so behold, what a weariness it is. And then I love the, the, the picture he gives as he says, and you have... Snuffed at it. Somebody show me what that looks like. Yeah, turn your nose up. Or, or that sigh of, right? You, you think of a, a, a cow as they're snuffing, maybe when their nose gets tickled. If you ever walk through a barn or if it's early in the morning and you, you just see that, for lack of a better word, snot blow off their nose, right? That's what, what Malachi is saying they're doing. They said, oh, what a weariness it is. And they snuffed at the idea of, of bringing these sacrifices to God. And it wasn't just their heart, and it wasn't just the words that they spoke, but as we've already said, it was pictured in the things that they brought. Malachi says, you've brought that which is torn. Now, when I first read that, my mind is thinking, okay, torn means it was it was." maybe like a leg was broken or something like that, it means it was stolen. It was torn away from somebody else. So they were bringing stolen sacrifices to God to offer on the altar. Like, what an offense is that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship God today by giving him this animal that I stole from my neighbor when my neighbor wasn't looking. That's not pure worship. That's not a heart that is reflecting the, the understanding, the goodness of God in their lives. And then he says they were bringing these things that were lame. And so as they, they brought these stolen sacrifices, then they brought these lame sacrifices. And maybe to others it looked like they were carrying these sacrifices because they valued them so much, when in reality they were carrying the sacrifices because the sacrifice couldn't walk for himself. <laughs> what, a, what a lame worship to, <laughs> to use the words of the Bible, right? So bringing these stolen things, bringing these lame things, and then bringing the, these... Sick things. Now, this one's got a, a, a huge growth on it. We'll, we'll take that one to God. Or this, this one doesn't have many more days. We were going to save it till next week because we thought it would last that long. But it's not going to last. So let's bring it now and offer it before it dies so that we don't have to get rid of it. Let the priest take care of it. So they were bringing these things to God, to, to worship God, and yet God could see right through. Their false worship. And to me, that is convicting. That God can see right through my false worship. He can see when my worship is lame or sick. He can see when my worship is torn, when it's not what it should be or what it could be or even what God desires. God, God's not saying that our worship in our day and age has to be perfect. He's saying that our worship has to be done with a right heart. And so you can be going through deep trials and still worship God. Read the Psalms, right? How often is the psalmist wishing he would die almost, and yet he's still able to pen words that are praiseworthy to God? And so God's not saying to us, you've got to have that perfect smile, and you've got to have that perfect family, and you have to have it all put together. He's saying, no, I want you to worship me with a perfect heart. And so in the middle of your trial, when everything's falling apart and your kids are going haywire and you've lost your job and you've got no money, that you still worship God with an understanding that God desires to be worshipped. Your worship doesn't have to look perfect. And they obviously didn't care about that, right? They they weren't concerned with their worship looking perfect because they were bringing anything and everything to lay on the altar. Uh, and, And for us, obviously, it's very different. But for us, we can rejoice in that, that God sees us where we are and yet still desires our worship in, in those times. And then God asks him a question. Should I accept this? <laughs> what, what do you think he's thinking they're going to say? Well, he knows what they're going to say, and it's likely a rhetorical question, right? At this point, hopefully the, the conviction had set into their hearts and Their waywardness had been sufficiently pointed out. No, that's not really the case because there's still a couple more chapters to go in Malachi. But that's what we would hope. And God asked, should I accept this? Should I accept this offering that you have given, this this offering that is less than what I deserve and less than what I desire? Should I accept this at your hand, saith the Lord? As you read, verse 13 and you think about the way that they were coming and the heart attitude that they had in coming um, just as it was then it's revealing an issue of the heart and that's exactly what this would reveal in our day and age as well any thoughts on verse 13 as we think about the things they were bringing and the way that they were bringing those things yes jessica Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah that's good and as we think about these sacrifices that were they were they were giving ultimately who was it a picture of it was christ right these every one of these sacrifices pictured the ultimate sacrifice that would eventually be given which was the perfect lamb of god uh, who was given before the foundation of the world somebody else any thoughts on 13 yes
1: yeah yeah
0: yeah i think that's great and that's certainly pictured for us in the story of job right like he knew he was a righteous and upright man uh, more righteous than anyone else on the earth and then everything was taken away and job still came forth as gold in the end why because his heart stayed in the right place through the trials that he faced, and he worshiped God in the midst of that storm, and certainly that's what, what God has called us to do as well. Anybody else? Bruce?
1: I like the word deceiver there. You mentioned Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. You know, they bowed a Yeah. These guys bowed a vow. Well, they got this great land, so they bowed a bow. but then that's not the one they bring. Yeah. You know, they they bring something that's less Yeah. Yeah. What that guy actually brought, that might be their sure. best sacrifice that they took in. You know, and uh, what what we give on those sheets that come out at the end of the year for doctors may look very different. But that doesn't matter. Absolutely. It's what the heart is given and are we doing what God has called yeah. us to do. That's what matters.
0: Absolutely. Yep. Do you have your hand up, Dave? right yeah i i always appreciate the statement that sunday morning church is a saturday night decision right like us us coming sunday mornings you can't wake up sunday morning and decide whether you're going or not uh, we make our kids saturday night all right pick out your clothes get everything ready take showers tonight because we're going to church tomorrow and we don't want whoever has noticed that sunday mornings can be a little stressful in the house anybody <laughs> so we prepare, right? And that's what God is saying. You you didn't prepare. You've done what you've wanted. You've done what was easy. You've done what was convenient. You brought what you deemed to be good enough. And God is saying, I'm not going to accept this thing. And not only does he not accept it, but in verse 14, the language turns uh, drastically sharper. He says, I'm I'm not going to accept this thing. And then he says, but curse be the deceiver. But cursed be the deceiver. Let that sink in for a minute. Cursed be the deceiver. Like you had what I desired, you had what I demanded, and you brought something of lesser value because you wanted to save what was best for yourself. I think what, what we often miss in giving is that our giving is really, in some ways, simply recognizing that everything we have is a gift from God and we're just giving back a portion to Him. You say, well, I work my job. God doesn't work my job. Well, who gives you the ability ability to live and move and breathe and and exist? God does. And so God has given you everything. And so giving back a portion to him, to the world, it seems crazy that we would give away 10, 15, 20% of our paychecks to, to spread the gospel. Like, what is the gospel to the world? Well, we understand what the gospel, it is the power of God of salvation to everyone who believes so that's why we do what we do. But God says to them, curse be the deceiver. Curse be the deceiver. And certainly the Old Testament would say much more about the idea of blessings and cursings. And they would have understood this uh, certainly as the people of God. How many times did God curse the nations around them for their benefit? And now here were the people of God being cursed. That these individuals would... would Would try to deceive God in this way, God was calling a curse upon them. And we don't know what the extent of that curse is. We don't know exactly what God is getting at here in its fullest detail, but I imagine if they heard the word cursed be the deceiver, that it struck a chord in their hearts. I know when I was a kid, when my mom would say, Wait until your father gets home, and then my father got home, guess what? I knew I was going to get punished in that moment. And so when God says, Cursed be the deceiver, it would would turn a a light switch on in their minds and understand that they had done something wrong. And they would remember, yeah, I I did have in my flock a male, and I did vow to give that to the Lord. And yet I I sacrificed something of lesser value. And I don't think God's, God's words here are just being dramatic to get their attention. God is being serious in what he says, but at the very same time, I think it, it is getting their attention, at least hopefully. And why does God say this? Why does God have the right to say this? Why does God have the right to call them out for the things that they were doing? Why does God have the right to curse them for, for deceiving uh, or seeking to deceive both God and others in their worship? Why does God have the right to do this why because he is god he's the great king and any king of any kingdom can decree whatever he wants and if the people don't follow that decree then what happens they pay the price and in some sense here god is calling them out and saying i am the great king saith the lord of hosts and my name is dreadful among the heathen what is god getting at he's saying understand this The wicked nations fear my name. But you don't. The wicked nations respect who I am. After after all of Israel's history, there was some sense where where the nations around Israel understood that the the God of Israel was a very different God. God's name is, is feared among the nations, and yet it wasn't feared among His own people so he's calling them out, he's pointing out the error of their ways, he's pointing out the wickedness of their sacrifices, he's cursing those who have deceived in, in the false worship that they have given, he's calling them to take an internal look at their hearts, to think about their attitudes and actions in preparing for worship and carrying out worship, and he's doing this, why? Because he hates them. No, he's doing it because he loves them because he knows there's a better way for them to live. He knows that he has provided for them the ability to live in a way that pleases him. This was, in part, the purpose of God giving them the law so that they could relate to a holy and just God, so they could understand how God desired for them to live as his people. Wednesday nights, we've been talking about uh, the, the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit... Uh, is the spirit of adoption who brings us into the family of God. And if we are in the family of God, then our lives should resemble the God whose family we're in. And if these people boasted that our God is the King of Heaven, and then they turned around the very next day and brought in an animal sacrifice that was lame and sick and stolen, what would the rest of the world look at and think about their God? Well, you don't care about him that much. He must not be all that you say he is if this is how you're worshiping him. And isn't it interesting that when you look at at heathen worship, what were they doing? Going to the point of sacrificing children? Right? And yet here, these these people couldn't even bring in a, a spotless lamb? What does that say about the world's idea of worship towards their God versus God's people's idea of worship towards the one true God. Certainly something to think about. So as we, as we make our way, as we've made our way through this passage, uh, it's clear to see that the tone that God is taking with them is sharp. He's being serious in the things that he's accusing them of, and he's not accusing them uh, with false accusations because he's the God who knows everything. And I'm sure Malachi was not a, a favored prophet as he was speaking these words, right? There was a little disdain given towards Malachi as well, uh, as the messenger of God. But nonetheless, the message went forth. The people heard what God had wanted them to hear. And then the people had a decision to make. And isn't that what every sermon should do? Call people to appoint a decision? This is what the Bible says. Now what are we going to do with it? And this is a question that we have to answer ourselves. I was reading in Romans 12, and I was reminded uh, of there's some of my favorite verses, Romans 12:1 and 2, and we know them well, but I, I heard it recently in the ESV, and I want to I read it to you because it's neat how it corresponds with this idea of sacrifice and worship. And Romans 12, 1, and 2 in the ESV says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, Which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I like in the middle of, at the end of verse one, in the middle of that passage, where he says, us giving ourselves as an act of worship is a spiritual worship. You see, everything that they did. Was, was in the physical, right? They brought a physical land to lay on a physical altar so that they could see the physical blood pour down and have a physical representation of, of God's atonement for their sins. And yet, as Paul's writing in Romans 12, he's saying, but, but your gift of yourself is a spiritual worship. That as you're laying yourself on that altar, it really in some ways is mimicking the people bringing that physical lamb to the altar for years and years and years in the Old Testament. And I wonder that as we live our lives, as Paul describes in Romans 12, 1 and 2, are we truly living a life of spiritual worship? We can go through the motions, and we can make it look appealing to those around us, and we can trick the people who sit next to us, and our Facebook posts may even get a few likes but are we really participating in spiritual worship of God in the way that we're coming into his presence? And so if we learn anything from Malachi chapter 1, we learn this, that God takes the worship of himself very seriously. And if God takes it seriously, then we should probably take it seriously as well. Any thoughts as we close up tonight? Yes. Yes. Okay. absolutely yeah that's a that's a good thought i appreciate that um i I guess it's true sometimes we could take the word of god too literally right (laughs) we could take it too literally to the point that we miss the spiritual application of what god is actually trying to say to us now I, i believe in a literal interpretation of the bible um but there are some things in the bible that are spiritual in nature and we have to pay attention to those things anybody else All right, let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for this evening that we can come to your house. We thank you for your word, and we do pray that it would um, complete the work in us, God, that you have sent it forth to do. I do pray uh, that as we see this example of of false worship in the Old Testament as your people brought to you um, sacrifices that were not worthy, God, I pray that, that we would understand that in Christ we have the ability to worship you in a way, in the way that you deserve and in the way that you desire. And God, I pray that our our fleshly appetites would not hinder us from doing that. I pray that our own laziness, God, would not hinder us from doing that, but that we would, as Jesus says in John 4, worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I pray that the legacy that we pass on to our kids in the worship that we give would be one where they would see that we truly believe our God deserves to be worshiped. God, I pray that our worship would not just happen on Sunday mornings, but it would happen every day of our lives in our quiet time, in our public time, God, in, in the settings where, where we feel life is falling apart, may we always have an attitude of worship because you are worthy of our worship. Thank you again for the time that we can be here. I pray you keep us safe as we travel home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.